0: Things are going to start happening to me now. You've done all the reading. You're a scholar, you're a professor. You've done all the reading. You've done the intellectual heavy lifting. Or less eat shit and die.
1: You wouldn't know a fact if it begged you all night long. I wanna like, um, you know, give the wrong impression because I am, I I am very high. Can up behind him with a hatchet. Smash, smash, smash.
0: Care, I'm a libertarian. What I'm getting is did you
1: vote for Joe Jorgensen or Trump?
0: Who? Joe Jorgensen. That was the perfect answer. Thank you.
1: (laughs) It's another Friday. Fillinie Friday—that's John Odermatt stuff. Uh, we've got garbage <laughs> main. We've got Tyler Libertarian Podcast Review. This is going to be a special one, and we're going to break some things down. We're going to go over the respondent, um,
0: by Greg Ellis.
1: Yeah, the respondent—a true story exposing the cartel of family law. I'm part of that cartel, anyway. Welcome everybody. Um, we're going to do a little bit different things here. First of all. Andy, uh, let everybody know what you've been up to, what shows you've been on. I, I understand you were on TimCast and you talked a lot about uh, Crowder. How'd that go?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, follow me at louderwithcrowder.com. Join my mug club. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've not been doing shit really, just just being a dad, uh, hanging hanging at the house. My daughter's really thriving. She's gained a little weight since we moved back and she's nice. reading every night. And I just got her a Tuttle Twins book that she's excited we got through a little bit of it last night and she fell asleep, but yeah, hadn't been doing too much, just being dead and kind of getting my ducks in a row up here. Hadn't started working yet, but I got a few things I got to do first. I got to transfer my CDL and jump through those extra hoops to do that. But I'm on my way.
1: We've got our boy, Travis Tyree here in the building. Sup
0: BBs. Um, He's so, probably, uh, oh, sh- he's, shout he's, out to Travis. He got me this book. So. Yeah,
1: so Travis, I, I didn't talk to you. I mean, if uh, maybe you need to come join us, I don't know. Um, so feel free if you want to. Um, let me know at least DM me or something. Um, we would have your input as well. So the, kind of the prospect and the, the premise of this book. Travis got it for you, obviously because he um, hates women. Um, what else do we need to say? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so well, wh- what was the reasoning for you getting the book? And then uh, I pushed my w- way in. I'm like, I got to have me some of this. So why did, why did this happen?
0: Well, I've got, uh, it was on my list of books to get, uh, obviously, you know, having been through the family court system myself, yeah, this is something I care about and I would like to see like less destruction of families. I don't know what that exactly would look like. Obviously, you know, being an anarchist, we'd rather see polycentric legal system with competing courts, but in the meantime, between time, what could be done to move the needle closer, and what are like some of the real stories about what's going on? And obviously, you know, it says exposing the cartel of family law. I'm going to be interested, so that's what kind of drew my attention to it. And I saw him on TimCast actually talking oh, yeah. about it, and that's kind of what made me think about it. I don't know, you know, his his story, his whole story. We're getting into it now, but in the TimCast episode. Um, Him and Larry Sharp are some of the only two that I can recall doing and uh, Larry Elder actually did a really good job talking about the importance of fathers and just uh, how destructive family courts can be. So anytime something like that's mentioned, I'm pretty much locked in. (laughs) There, there's that other guy. He had
1: the long beard that was multiple colors, and he was sharing his wife with some people. He was, he was big into <laughs> fathers, wasn't he?
0: He might have been a, a judge or a lawyer in the family court. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So, I, 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 you know, full disclosure, I'm a, I'm a family law attorney here in California, so this is um, right up my alley, and I'm, like, very interested to see this. because and, and you and I have talked about this, uh, and so there was this, I don't know if you ever watched the documentary called Divorce Corp it's all centered around the courthouse that I'm in like all the time in Sacramento. Um, one of the judges that they really take issue with, I've been in front of him a ton. He's now retired, but he was bad on sometimes he was good on sometimes. So I, I see things like this and I'm like, okay. And then, and then I take clients in. And so I, I, they tell me a sob story or whatever it is. And you're like, that's horrible. Let me see all the filings. And I go through them and I'm like, okay, for the most part, maybe not quite. Although I talked to a former client yesterday that really got railroaded, but, and it pertains to kind of this stuff here. So I think he's taking on a great uh, pro, a great idea and then he's lionized by a bunch of people. So we're going to go through the book and see if this lionization is um, useful and if it's helpful and it's if it's warranted but also he's the kind of the anti Amber heard segment segment right now as well. So there's people are hitting him from all angles. And I think you and I can maybe take this from a different perspective of, we don't have to agree with everything. He says we don't have to hate him for everything. Cause there's a lot of good things in there, but I'm always skeptical of people that maybe show us, um, something we want to hear. And then we ignore all the crap that gets us to the point we want. And then it makes us, it almost, it, it ruins our, our prospects. And the big, and then I'll let you you rant here a little bit. But my biggest problem is I don't want him um, making the men victims in the court unnecessarily. There's definitely things they can do. There's definitely things that they can improve upon. But if you just say it's the court's fault, you are never ever going to get yourself ahead unless you abolish the court or move to a different country or state. So that to me is my biggest concern on this. What do you what do you have to say about um, so far?
0: No, I totally agree with what you're saying. Obviously, you know, the courts have a monopoly and you have, you have to play by the rules. So let's, you know, men need to do a better job, uh, you know, of playing by those rules. I know it's, it's a lot harder in family court to me it seems like to call balls and strikes than it would be in like a a criminal court where you kind of have the facts laid out and the evidence, Um, especially, you know, your kids is when dealing with your kids and, and your family, it can, take a psychological hold on someone, you know, and, it's, yeah. and it can be rough waters to tread through. So, yeah.
1: Very much so. I mean, there's, there's, you know, cases I get where it's um, only money involved, you know, no kids, and that's just an accounting problem. How do we get through it correctly and, you know, worry that when it's kids, you don't give them the cost analysis of, okay, if we go to trial, it's this much and is it worth it to argue? No, it's it's your child and, and you may have that, those other issues. Okay, so um, with that in mind, um, the respondent, I think um, – Well, first of all, there's a introduction by Johnny Depp. And by the way, uh, Johnny Depp, I watched that entire trial with he and Amber Heard, and I thought that one, what was great about that is you got to see both sides, make all their accusations. And then you, and this is a one-sided story, which is perfectly fine, but that one was, you got to see the both sides of the story. And it was easy for me to then come out in in favor of Johnny. Um, so he does the intro and then we have the forward by Alec Baldwin. So, um, (laughs) He, uh, yeah, do you let's think? Go, uh, let's go to Alec Baldwin. Do you think,
0: think, Greg the do you think grit that, uh, this Greg Ellis guy who wrote this book helped Johnny Depp with this case at all? Uh, he, he I know might this have. Book
1: I, came out. I, I actually, more I read about it, I hope not. Okay, <laughs> so let's, let's see what, what Alec Baldwin has to say.
0: Yeah, this is to, to his up. daughter.
1: She's like 12 at the time. Can you hear it? Barely. You hear it? Barely. Okay. Well, basically calls his daughter a pig and it's yeah, quite, <laughs> <laughs> go check that out. I was coming through loud for me. I, I, am I'm, I'm disappointed on that. Um. So that's just the kind of person you have right in the introduction. What do you, what do you say about, uh, I like, uh, shoot your man in the foot,
0: Baldwin, <laughs> our face. He's about to be on trial again. And this time, not in family court, he's right. going to be in criminal court. Right. I, for the, uh,
1: right. So I played, I wanted to play that where he, he sends us this uh, text message to his daughter and yeah, rude little pig, as Meredith says here, it's pretty uh, outrageous. Now his daughter's older. She's like some hottie now. And she did came out with some video bawling her head off about, and and how she uh, had had abortions. And it was such a great thing for her. Um, It was a really disgusting video (laughs) and all the women are like, oh, this is amazing. You're so brave. Um, That's the kind of daughter he raised. So there you go. I
0: just thought I'd put that up there. Okay. Yeah. Well th- to me that was his best performance. So I think he should have won an Oscar for that <laughs> voice, man. <laughs> right. So here we here we go. The
1: respondent. We've read it. Um, I would like to actually just read now. We're not gonna read the book. We're not gonna do a Jose Toad style thing here. But I thought it would be helpful to read the pre uh, prelude in its in its full. Did you wanna read that? Do you want or do you want me to do it?
0: Uh I mean either one uh okay. i don't mind if you want to swap paragraphs or whatever or you just want to okay. keep it consistent
1: swap paragraphs I, I, that's the little game <laughs> um tell you what i'll read page one uh xv one all right <laughs> i'll read the first one here uh fate is fickle uh, a simple three-word cliche that describes the fragility of our lives and the speed with which everything we think is real can become an illusion Before March 5, 2015, this simple truth was a little more than a philosophical abstraction for me. I appreciated its implications, but I'd never experienced it, never endured a dramatic and unforeseen shift in fortune that I could not navigate until that fateful day six years ago. Okay. Um, he's a little flowery with his words, uh, bores me to death at times. So I do skip around when I read. Uh, I prefer. I'm looking for facts a lot. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, the, it's uh, just giving giving an idea. Um, But I think a lot of language. Yeah, it's just it, easy.
0: Makes for an easy read, though.
1: It does because I'm like, uh, not this job, not the, nope, keep going. Okay. Uh, one moment I was a successful actor and producer living in an expansive Hollywood home with my wife of 20 years and two young sons I adored, but everything changed with a knock on the door by police. The first engagement in a battle with America's unscrupulous and unstoppable family law cartel that was that has raged on for years and left me with scars, my family in ashes and my boys without a father. This book emerged from this devastating experience, part memoir, part meditation, part manifesto. The respondent is the story of my fall from grace, including the many ways I was the author of my own demise and my consequence, uh, consequence descent, huh? Okay, <laughs> into despair and confusion, and I was ushered through the gauntlet of the suffocating family law system. Okay, that's the first part. Yeah, go ahead if you uh, you want to keep going.
0: But it's also the story of a slow emergence and rising, an awakening both intellectually and emotionally, and ultimately a catharsis. James Hollis, in in opening the Eden Project in search of the magical other, describes this journey from tragedy to self-awareness like this. In Greek tragedy, one feels the earth shudder when a protagonist claims complete self-knowledge. At that moment, one may be certain that the gods begin their work to to stun the person back to the proper humility of Socratic questioning. Jesus. The spirit in those words lit me a fire. Lit lit me a fire of curiosity that has brought me to uncomfortable truths, not only about myself, as I exorcise many of the demons that have clipped at my heels for decades, but about society at large. I believe America is in the grips of an epidemic that rages in plain sight and yet remains invisible to so many. The shocking reality is that 4,000 children are being ripped from their parents in American courtrooms every day. One in three children doesn't live with their biological father in the home. And 40% of those children haven't seen their fathers in more than a year. The fabric of society fraying as an unfeeling $60 billion a year family law system perpetuates the tragedy. Did you look up any of those
1: stats to see if they were right? I haven't
0: yet, but I've got the boy crisis, and I'm pretty sure that has a lot of the citations and more uh, technical uh, okay. statistics in there. Um, fathers have a reputation for stoicism that bellies a more complex reality in, rea- in which we feel the pain of family separation every bit as deeply as mothers. A reality made clear by a grim statistic I restate more than once in the respondent. Fathers who have become ensnared in the divorce system kill themselves eight times more than mothers. Pause and let that sink in for a moment. For is every incorrect. child who loses their mother to suicide during or after divorce, eight children lose their father. This is nothing short of a national health emergency demanding an honest accounting of the conditions driving such re- despair. He's incorrect about the uh, eight times more statistic.
1: I looked up the study because it was in another um, thing. And, <clears throat> and it's, it's not fathers, it's people that, husbands and wives that, that, that file for divorce. Okay. Um, so it has nothing actually, to, it might actually be worse, uh, but let's take, for example, you file for divorce, you have no kids that he's yeah. including those in this statistic. So we don't know if you're a father, um, but it doesn't include, uh, those that just file for custody. So there's people that aren't married that get a paternity. Uh, you know, you, you went through that as well. You go through yeah. the courthouse. I mean, if you kill yourself, you're not included in this stats. So it's a little wrong. And I don't know if that's uh, correlation causation, whatnot, but. Um, It's not the stats are not actually what he said they were. So,
0: okay. Gotcha.
1: Which makes Um, me wonder about the other ones we just talked about, which could be right. 60 billion a year. I am trying to get me some of that in the cartel business,
0: (laughs) get you a piece of pie. Um, Yeah. uh, The respondent is not intended as a vehicle for vindictiveness, but I believe we are all willing participants in a shameful social Kabuki dance, mindlessly fortifying the most destructive narrative of our era that women merely by virtue of being women are the fair sex, and I'll let you take the next one. But I, just I wish he had to said say, Kuba,
1: uh, He said kabuki, but
0: bukaki. <laughs> bukaki <Bukake laughs> is what the you were other hoping one. For.
1: Yeah, I was like, let's shape this book up. Uh, I realize this is a provocation to many in our current social climate, but before jumping to judgment, I hope you'll come with me as I visit not only the darker side of my story, but also the shadow of our collective psych, psyche in an attempt to answer this question being what is driving us to devalue fathers and family and perpetuate perpetuate such a dr- uh, draconian divorce system when i walked into a dreary courtroom in downtown los angeles for the first time in uh, more than half a decade ago i passed from a world of rights and justice to a star chamber of withering and reflexive judgment where due process is extinct and the presumption of innocence is an illusion in crossing the legal rubicon From citizen to prejudged villain, I no longer occupied the skin of a complicated human being. Greg Ellis was dead, and in his place stood a nameless respondent, present only to receive the slings and arrows of a society determined to exact its pound of flesh in retribution for male sin writ large. I'm sorry, I can't help but try to do a menacing voice. This is so exaggerated. The respondent is my humble submission to the struggling dialogue, my hope that you find it to be many things at once, a white-knuckled ride through a dirty swamp, an intimate inquiry into love and separation, an exploration of my failings as a modern man and my trauma as a boy, and, it, and a helpful, if complete, map, pointing to a more humane and collaborative future not only for forsaken fathers searching for redemption and justice, but for the whole village of people, there you go, that's the part you like, village of people who love them, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmas, grandpas. If we are to fashion a better world for children, there is no more urgent project than rebuilding divorce court, revitalizing the image of family, recasting fatherhood as a foundational and heroic role in of a lifetime. We have all been the respondent. The person summoned to, a respo- uh, to respond to the allegations of a petitioner or the provocations of our times. The book is my legacy petition. I am the respondent, and this is my story. Okay. And by the way, this is, um, it's a bit much for us to read that, and we're not going to do this, like I said, but it gives you a feel of the story. It gives you a feel that he's definitely a Hollywood writer, and and he does a good job of that. And he's... Tells, tells a story mixed <laughs> yeah, in with some, okay, uh, just a real quick on the facts stuff. I don't want to bog things down and, and uh, hyperventilate on, on details, but what's interesting is, you know, if you read a Scott Horton book as an example, if he were to cite, you know, 4,000 children, he'd have a little one there and there'd be a footnote down below where he gets it. There'd be this. And at, later on, he finally starts to do that in some of his, his uh, references, but there's a lot of them that I was hoping that he would include so I can double check those kind of things um yeah those are let's say they're even half right i mean that's a that's a grave uh, issue of men are committed suicide i've only had female clients die on me
0: okay. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah i mean i think this is a i mean this is why i care about this stuff is because it is a huge issue you look at the crime statistics of kids that grow up without fathers and you look at all the other statistics revolving around uh single parent homes and how those kids turn out they're less likely far less likely to be successful obviously there are exceptions to the rule but you know the more that families stay together the better Yeah. Uh, Um.
1: Let's go through uh, uh, Meredith, who's a family law attorney here in Northern California as well. She says, am I crazy or do you find this bias against fathers not to be the case in California, Tyler? Because I really haven't seen it. Um, That's 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 been part of the problem. And when I went on with uh, Josh Smith, I talked about it and you and I have talked about this. And then I wrote some Substack things. And it's kind of my point here today. And what I want to go through with this guy to help people, which is men don't prepare for court the way women do, they're in their lives. They're just not anticipating litigation. They go to work, they take care of things. Maybe when they're married, the typical thing that I see is mom takes care of the schedule, dad goes to work, and mom's always getting things. Now he's a single dad and he is tasked with doing all these things. Is he doing them? Maybe, he's just not used to it, or he's not preparing for that. And so you go to court, mom's got a string of emails and and texts of what, you know, And there you go. It, it sets against them already. I have clients, two guys that have full custody of their kids and they have for years because mom, very successful moms that are bipolar and crazy. And the psyche valves prove that, and they just can't get past that. And so it, it, it does. It happens. So, um, on the other side, California may be different. So I want to emphasize that. Sorry.
0: Yeah. I was reading some statistics about fathers that tend to be older, make and make more money are more likely to win custody fathers in their forties or have a lot better chance of winning custody. I'll, I will
1: say this, my, my experience too is, um, and it, it does help you. are you're much better to, um, us say your kids are seven, eight years old and now you're getting divorced and you've been the dad in the house. Like from day one, your odds, at least in California are much higher of being able to retain 50% custody because it's like a no brainer, but that you do have these problems where you're mom gets pregnant you get separated maybe not even married this is typical uh now she has a baby this now you want 50 percent of a of a newborn it's just not gonna happen and they're gonna yeah. allow mom to you know nurture this child and and have the most and then it's dad's got to keep on it anyway that, that's where we're at but um what else do we got okay um so you ready for chapter one
0: part one yeah fear
1: Okay, so he does break this up into three prongs, right? Yes. Okay, so he he calls the first one part one, fear, chapter one, the nocturnal emission. Oh wait, nocturnal terrorist. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I I don't know how to best go go through this. I think we're gonna walk through, and we're gonna do it. This is a spoiler alert for the book. That you're fine with that, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm reading it, so.
1: No, but I'm mean, watching. That's- yeah, Whoever's watching, watching, if you
0: don't want a spoiler alert. Uh, so
1: it starts you know. out where he he talks about, um, and, and maybe I'll just read a, f- a few little things here. Um, this, is, this caught my eye. So this is the day that all shit went down. I think it was like March 5th of 2015. Uh, what a difference a day makes. I wouldn't blame me for not believing it. Uh, a mere 24 hours before my unwitting experience as a human toilet, I was pitching a project to Hollywood studio head meeting with Joe Pesci and Andy Garcia chatting it up with Sharon stone and playing golf with Adam Levine all before strumming my two sons to sleep with the ukulele toad style here in my beautiful Los <laughs> Angeles mansion. <clears throat> okay. So he's got a lot of connections with Hollywood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's jacking himself off a little bit throughout right. this.
1: <laughs> so the pre- premise is he's at home. His wife is actually out of the state she's on business. Okay. And then, um, his nanny's there, it's March 5th and then the police show up. He tells the nanny before the police show up, Hey, go, go home, go take care of yourself. Um, I got this kind of, situation. yeah, take the
0: day, take the rest of the day off. I'm here with the, with the kids. He's got two boys. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And then the police show up and start accusing him basically of child abuse or threatening to harm the kids. Right.
1: So he says, um, they, they, they make an accusation, right. And and the accusation is, uh, well, it's called to CPS, which child protective services, well, he calls them, um, and I think it's kind of mixed in here, DFCS, child and family services and protection or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. so the LAPD comes over and they say, Hey, we had a credible threat, um, that you're, it's confidential though. We can't tell you who it is. Um, and he was baffled. This is, this is one of those streams where men, you've got to start Thinking here, um, who could he says as you know, who could possibly have called the police and report that I've threatened my boys? Okay, no clue. He gives no clue. Uh, and matter of fact, later on, he talks a little bit. He has a, a text message with his wife, and and it's it's non plus. It's really nothing happening. So he doesn't really get us into the mindset, which makes me always Department of Child and Family Services. Thank you, uh, Meredith. Okay, uh, they're baffled um, as the police began circling his friend. Patrick Fabian arrived. So he never says who his friend, why his friend arrived, but the police are there. And he says, Hey, the kids are safe. Don't come in. Don't worry about it. Patrick comes in and, um, Patrick tells the police that everything's fine. Uh, no need to worry. And I'm yelling at the guy in the book, call a lawyer. Why are you, there's police circling outside your house? Call an attorney.
0: If CPS shows up, Tyler, what's the best thing to do? Answer the door, not answer the door
1: well answer the door they usually have to have a reason to go in and, and by the way that's always a tricky situation what do you do because are you then going to be looked at worse for not answering their questions for not having an attorney a lot of times like hey i don't want to do this without my attorney present perfectly fine um they shouldn't be having a problem i send everyone specifically to a person that does does cps stuff so i don't i don't deal with that um but you know otherwise we'll, we'll set up interviews and have the CPS come and check out the house depends on who the client is. If I could tell they're a little unruly, I'm definitely going to try to protect them more than, uh, some of the other ones. So, um,
0: so are you taking at this point in the story, just early on, are you taking it at face value or are you skeptical a little bit? Already
1: I well look, he's writing a book, right? And then chapter two, as an example, he starts out with this. He talks about it Then chapter two. The first thing he says is 18 hours before. So I'm like, okay, maybe he's eventually going to tell us there's gotta be a reason why CPS just shows up at your house or DFCS or, or the LAPD. There's gotta be a reason he has, he's baffled. It's just an erroneous. It's he's basically getting swatted is what he's, he's saying here. So, yeah. um, yeah, Hypothetically, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I want to find out
0: hypothetically could this situation happen like if you were to take it at face value like if someone just called and said hey i think this person is hurting their kids oh yeah so could be a neighbor or just somebody random <clears throat> yes there, somebody hates you now
1: my experience with that uh andy in, in california specifically is the police are not going to stick around if it's just someone that wouldn't give their name which you can be, it's confidential. It's uh, You could use anonymity, but just says, oh, uh, he's, he's out beating his kids or he's threatened them. Okay, they're gonna go over to the house, they're gonna check and then they're just gonna, they're gonna leave because there's nothing concrete. So to me, immediately, I'm like, there's something, why are they still hanging around? There's gotta be, I need, there's more. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe chapter two is gonna explain it a little better. Um, so anyway, he was All handcuffed. Right. Well, so his friend comes in. No, do you want to talk about it, or do you want me to keep? Just oh, go going? ahead, go ahead. Okay, so just to lay this out, people, we've got his friend Patrick comes over. Patrick goes up and sees the kids. The dad's like, "Don't worry, I don't know what the police are doing out there. They're in the backyard. They're in this. <laughs> i'm like, oh geez, if p- police are walking around like that, you should be doing something." His friend Patrick comes over, talks to the kids, tells the police, "Hey, no problem. The kids are are not harmed." and our guy greg is just continue to make a meal uh then the psych the people from the uh, department of whatever it is dcfs department of child and family services come over and they want to talk to him so he lets him in to evaluate him problem number one have an attorney get it get a warrant um just don't necessarily do this unless they're you know they're, they're, i don't know so I don't, I don't know what there's some there's some weirdness going on with that as well at any point did you think he should have called an attorney <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah right away right. if the police show up to my house you better have a warrant that's all i'm gonna say
1: yeah um okay so the police end up uh, arresting him put him in their car they they don't they, they they treat him like the do you remember the story of a few years ago of the guy in baltimore they just threw in the back of a paddy wagon and then drove around recklessly until he died was that freddie gray maybe yeah so they they <laughs> do that treatment to him here would you think of yeah. uh he, he doesn't like the police. So, so far I'm with him.
0: Yeah, I'm with him. I'm not liking the police. Um, he was a little bit too friendly with them to, to begin with. Um, you know, he, he kind of goes through this, um, you know, obviously a lot of flowery language. Um, I wish he would just like kind of get to keep it cut and dry right. <laughs> at some points, but it's interesting. Uh, here, here, let,
1: let me read the part about the police. Without wearing a seatbelt, they drove me at breakneck speed, siren blaring, waving through the Thursday night rush hour traffic on Highway 101, in and out and off on the hard shoulder. I love, <laughs> love that. The wild maneuvering buffeted me around so relentlessly I had eventually slid off the back seat and onto the floor, wedged between the seat and the floor of the footwell. I was in agony, both physically and psychologically. I let a guttural cry. The glass partition slid open. So that to me, I'm like, yeah, that sounds belie- believable. Treated him like a piece of shit, and he didn't like yeah. that. And then they took him to UCLA uh, LA Medical Center, and then over to a different place, and they put him on a fifty-one fifty hold. So that's your you're crazy. Now look, this is this is where I started to have a hard time. Okay, um, they said they put him on a fifty-one, which is a mandatory seventy-two hour hold. By the way, uh, threatened his children. The DCFs DCFs officer. Casually remarked, in a rakish man who pushed the clipboard up into my midriff and ar- ordered me to sign. So they, they, for some reason, they're going to put him on a hold. Now he was on with Drew, Doctor Drew, and I guess I didn't watched it, but I guess Doctor Drew kind of went over this with him. And, and my, I looked up the fifty-one-fifty hold. There's definite requirements for that. You don't just get to say my neighbor's crazy. The police are going to come over there and do something. There's got to have. There actually has to be articulable. Um, cause for this so uh, reasonable suspicion or whatever so they have to outline this as you can imagine it's pretty detailed so he's in there he said i had no idea where that okay oh delamaro uh, psych uh, hospital i had no idea where that was or why i was there i had lost my orientation in the world forgotten my place i felt extinguished so he's 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 admitting he's got a little mental skewed ideas yeah
0: there's at one point where he talks about um once they let him out of the ambulance he like falls and hits his head or something i was like okay well maybe he is drugged up or something like this isn't maybe maybe you know people are different you know what takes a certain toll on people could be different on others right but uh
1: He also states, "My senses were raw and heightened, but my mind was dull and confused in an unfamiliar way." This is all him in there. Why would someone make up a story about me? (laughs) I attempted to reconcile the impossible. So he ends up staying in there. Um, This is why don't you read the last part of the uh, that page twelve there.
0: Cutting the umbilical cords, embracing them, sharing the love and unbridled joy with family and friends. I'm sick of this shit. I'm going to harm the children. Those ten words kept ringing in my ears. Their author had used them like a weapon and condemned me in the process. I wondered where he or she was on this same night, probably sleeping comfortably in their own bed. Harm my children? Is there a greater assault on a man's integrity? I finally, gratefully, fell into slumber. It wasn't long after that I woke to the rain. that rain of piss and fresh horrors beyond. <laughs> so you want to you
1: want to explain the the p the, the golden shower at the, at the place well in uh
0: in the first page of chapter one he talks about he's got to me it seems like a weird pee fetish but uh he says my senses now trip into awareness i peered up i peer up and shock turns to discuss as it dawns on me that the rain is cascading from a penis protruding from a tra- tangled forest of pubic hair a naked man is pissing on the face And I guess in the psych ward, he was awoken by someone taking a piss on him. Yeah. Uh,
1: Speaking of which, uh, Dickie's in the chat. Hey, y'all. Yeah, there we go.
0: What's up, Dickie?
1: I'm sure he's had that happen before. Um, So then chapter two starts. Okay, anything wild about chapter one? One, it's infuriating. And I could, look, it's not beyond belief for what I do where uh, a mom or someone makes up a story um, and, you know, gets you thrown into jail. Okay. Or... Yeah, you, if I
0: take it, it at face value with, you know, believing what he's saying here, it's pretty insane to think that that, that could happen.
1: Right. And we've all seen stories where police do, you know, take you in for whatever reason, uh, CPS, we just, and you don't want to talk about that at all. We have time for, of course, um, the, uh, CPS, uh, I think it was 2016, uh, where they were having the, the, the hearing before the ninth circuit. You, you, did you listen to that whole thing that the Mises caucus? Posted it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I listened to it. Um, that whole thing just seemed insane to me how it even got to the ninth circuit. Um, DCS basically arguing that they have a right to lie and submit false evidence to the court. If it's in what they presume to be the child's best interest in order to take the kids away from their biological parents. We're not even talking about foster parents or sometimes some type of guardianship. Yeah. So just and, the things and- that CPS will go out of their way to do to hurt families.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I, I tell clients all the time, I'm like, look, CPS can save you. They, they can save a family or they can ruin a family. And I don't even know if it's anywhere in between. It's That's that's just kind of where it is. Yeah. So th- that what was interesting about that one is, so CPS um, social workers totally lied, made up stuff. They got caught, but they ended up taking the child away from the parents. Um, they ended up... Uh, f- getting a lawsuit civil lawsuit in the state of california they lost two of them i think they said one was like fifty thousand, another 50 anyway some decent amount of money that they lost on those ones um, but then the cps uh social workers themselves filed and appealed through uh federal court because they said their their civil rights were <laughs> were upended or whatever and that they had qualified immunity they were getting absolute immunity as as fed uh, as uh as, Employees, the judges were not having any of it. I mean, you—you you, that, that's got to be somewhat encouraging, right? We're talking about this, how judges just don't take anything; they just let DCSS or our CPS run over everybody. The police—was it encouraging at all to see that that the judges were just like, "You're full of shit. I can't believe
0: this is even happening," and, yeah. and you're wasting our
1: time. They literally were saying at that point.
0: It was encouraging. To some degree, but also like in in the things that I've read about family courts and I know this was a federal court and not necessarily family court and civil issue, but um, they tend to be better in blue states and a lot of people don't uh, acknowledge that that, you know, the New Hampshire is the quote unquote free states and places like Florida actually have a lot worse family courts than some of the blue states yeah but yeah i mean i I was encouraged to see the judges definitely not give it any weight um they weren't having it and it was interesting to see you know that the argument was sort of predicated on the fourth and 14th amendment yeah for the cps uh people trying to take away the kids yeah and and if you know about the 14th amendment you got to go back to lincoln stinking lincoln
1: uh kate who's had some family issues here and I, i think her she got custody of her son now when i remember uh dad's Congrats, got, yeah. dad yeah dad's get less custody because women are spiteful bitches that use the system to attack fathers and take their money happens every day I, I do not disagree um yeah there's definitely some some of those issues here um okay so that's the cps thing that we talked about that that other uh, case yeah and, and it, people could should go check out that clip it is interesting there, there is one thing there, to really understand there there is a what's called a fundamental right and that is uh, parenting. Okay. Uh, to have a parent. So there this lady that was arguing for the CPS attorney, she was trying to bring a case law that had to do with a foster parent. Okay. And they're like, no, 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 that foster, that's fine. But you have these fundamental rights, heightened scrutiny. If we're going to remove a child from you that you have to take under into account for parents, biological parents or adopted parents, cucks, as, uh, Metovic would call them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh but anyway that that's heightened ex- uh, anyway, so scrutiny was at least it was good to see that the judges were uh, at least pushing on that. okay. chapter two, we come in here and he talks he wants to back up a little bit further and I'm like, okay good, we're at least going to get some of this um info here. So um about a, the day before I woke to the boys, packed their lunches, made them breakfast, dropped them off at school, gave them the hugs. Arriving back in my house, in my home office at 8 a.m., I soon greeted Andy Garcia, (laughs) he loves to name drop, who had walked from his home not far from mine to discuss various projects in which we could collaborate. My assistant brought us coffee, and we breezily passed the time with standard Hollywood talk. During the meeting, Sharon Stone called to discuss another project we (laughs) were developing. Uh, Okay.
0: Standard Hollywood talk. What is that? Gay sex?
1: Yeah, I I think so. (laughs) Um uh, to discuss uh, television shows before heading to lakeside golf club for a quick meeting with joe pesci to discuss writing directing the next movie there you go um this was an interesting part to sleep has been a struggle my whole life with dana out of town that's his wife i couldn't shut down psychological foreshocks were rambling and my ability to control them dwindling rapidly Fissures cracked wider in my mind and a world that appeared so right, felt so wrong for days. I had felt I was spiraling into uncharted territory. So he's given you some breakdown here and and some light into the fact that, and he talks about not sleeping for three days as well. That could be worse than, than taking drugs and alcohol.
0: Yeah. I mean, you'll definitely slip into some kind of hallucinogenic psychosis at that point. (laughs) Um, yeah, he, he doesn't seem well, if you get to the next page, um, he talks about this text with his wife and it, I just don't what's bothers me so far up to this point is that he is alluding to some of his own problems, but won't really discuss in full any yeah, and, of the and, stuff that he may have been doing.
1: And to get um, there, maybe maybe those are discussed in, you know, tra- section two and three, part two or know. three. Yes, this is just part
0: <clears throat> one. Right. Um, but these are just my thoughts going through it. Um, this text message says him to his wife, it says we need to make time to sit down tonight. To talk, babe. I feel like we are ships in the night, and it is really important for us to take stock of our lives and where we are at. We must find a way to make life easier for you and for you to feel valued. Let's embrace that tonight, okay? And she just says, "You got it." So obviously, there's something going on here that you know. It's a Hollywood marriage. You know, they got a mansion in L.A., and these people are fucking weird to me. So (laughs) they live in. It's a. It's a whole. It's alien to me so
1: right and, and, that, and so remember this is the day before the the cops show up uh the cp i'll just call him cps because whatever yeah. cps interviews him he gets the psych hold and he writes this adam and chris quickly sent he was in some meeting i probably adam levine still and chris um he, i had i had barely slept in three days and i walked in accompanied by a mine of emotional chaos adam and chris quickly sensed something was wrong i was somewhat incoherent and overwrought with every thought, a stream of staccato irrelevance followed as I dominated a spiraling meeting and blew past my half hour time allotment. I offered almost nothing of value in a confused word salad, but Adam was decent as ever and tried to pull coherence from the chaos to no avail. Okay, that's that's concerning, right? Um, if you're in a meeting, you have no clue what you're saying and you, you, you just basically way okay. out of there i don't know maybe they call her his wife and, and and say some things like i don't know
0: yeah what's going on with this guy
1: yeah he said he was going to do big changes and uh, make more constructive life um so um he does he does talk a bit about about his wife has had some panic disorders and some irrationality so that's basically chapter uh two um you got it was the text that she had responded. He's like, you know, if, you, if you're married, um, you know, that's not a good sign. Yeah. If you're in a relationship and, and you say, hey, really, we got to talk about some things and you got it. That's passive aggressive or something. Yeah. Uh, um, Spud says this guy thinks he's Shakespeare. I don't see so well. <laughs> Is that Bill Shakespeare over there?
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, getting into chapter three, crossing the emotional Rubicon. Any
1: more on that chapter two that you wanted to talk about?
0: I didn't really have anything. Um, It just seems like there's an, uh, he alludes to some of their rocky relationship problems, but doesn't really make it clear. Yeah.
1: So that Uh, chapter two at
0: least gave a little bit of,
1: tried to go background and, and, you know, like we said, step back a little bit. And then chapter three is called crossing the emotional Rubicon.
0: Yes, yeah, so um, I've got one quote out of here. It says, uh, "You're seriously telling me I'm stuck here for the weekend because the Appropriations Committee in Sacramento was unduly parsimonious on mental health funding." He was there. He was claiming that he was there on the seventy-two hold, seventy-two hour hold, because uh, they didn't have a doctor in to see him because they hadn't. The city hadn't allocated funds to see him or to have doctors there on the weekend. So to me, this just seemed like a fair description of what bureaucracy is like when you have the state paying for doctors and obviously they're not showing up on the weekends.
1: Right. I, and and I, I made a note. I, I had that one underlined as well. And I kind of made a note about it because um, the legislature is the ones that are making the laws. OK, you do have case law that goes forward, but we've got the family code, which is. And it, it, it gets updated every year, and the legislature adds to it or takes away, and they they make the intent. So the judges, yes, they have a lot of discretion, but they're enforcing those those um, you know laws. The police are enforcing the laws as well. So I know he has a lot of disdain for those two. He doesn't so far talk at all about the legislature and the idiots that are voting for a lot of these people that are making these laws that are now getting handed down. These people think they're doing a good job of like being a judge. So that to me is also like, what are you doing about that? Are you just railing against a judge or are you going to change the people and move out of the state? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the legislative process throughout family court, you know, there's all these codes and things and not a lot of people even know about them. Like, I don't know. I'm not involved in, and family law, you know, and that's why family law attorneys exist, you know, um, but I think it would be better if some of those legislative issues brought to the forefront of this battle of family courts and not just blaming yeah. all, not just blaming lawyers and judges and, and shitty moms. Like, obviously, right. they're just forcing what's on the books and the mom is or whoever the dirty parent is, is going to take advantage of it right
1: so as me being someone in the cartel you know it's oftentimes for uh difficult for me to kind of see past from my own experience i mean that's one thing i'm somewhat critical here is because i have an experience in this every day but it's also good to that's why i I enjoy talking with you about this because you have a little bit different perspective and i need to be seeing that i don't know what the changes are i don't know what they are but i think once again you know you're always going to have someone enforcing something right and it so it does tend to bleed its way down. I don't know. But I think starting with maybe that, um, but then, you know, I, like I said, that the, you've said the red States are different than the blue States in in a, in a way that's weird. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I, I, even though the red States are worse from my research on this stuff, um, I'd prefer it to be a 50 state And state by state issue i do not want federal family courts whatsoever exactly but this this if you're a libertarian lobbyist activist type of person and you're into this stuff um you know obviously things on the state level are going to be easier to change than they would be on a federal level so i mean if you're interested in this stuff it's worth looking into if you want to see some kind of positive outcome and you know you wouldn't have to go as far to get to dc you could go to your local courthouse yeah
1: yeah i, I agree and, and okay um, so he he talks to me his wife finally comes to visit him um and she says have you taken your medication it was dana's voice but it was frosty and disconnected no emotional support or inquiries into my well-being no update on the boys no apologies for the big misunderstanding because that's what he said is just a misunderstanding she's gonna come here she's gonna you know say me her question was even more baffling because I hadn't been prescribed any medication nor even had a conversation about it. So there you go. Uh, which makes me wonder, I mean, which part of that is him just saying that, which is uh, anyway, it's, yeah, there's two sides to this,
0: two sides to the story. I mean, I'm inclined to believe him because I don't just believe all women, <laughs> but no. you know, you know, yeah. I know that this system can be dirty and people will, like I said, take advantage of it. Um, but, you know, these are pretty outrageous claims, you know, so it, I'd like to see more on it.
1: It's a, I think that was a phone call he had with her and he's finally like, uh, the person who I thought was my umbilical cord to the life I had been hijacked from was not a lifeline at all. So there's starting to be some realization. This isn't the right person. Uh, maybe she doesn't have my best interest at heart and it's, it's probably, you know, I don't know. He's it, cause then he goes on. Alarm and he bell has a,
0: should be going off in his head right now.
1: That's thank you. Yeah. He does then talk about um, his lack of sleep, and he's got a, a problem with it for a long time. Sleep has eluded me my entire life. I think of sleep as an emotional church. I've longed for its salvation. Human. So he's he's got a sleep issue, which could be um, some sort of a mental problem as well, I guess. Um, he then talked about uh, this shock blanket and having a urination problem. Did you? What when he you, was a kid, yeah. He yeah. talks
0: about his. A little bit about his childhood trauma between his mother and father um, and his mom taking him in the middle of the night and him pissing the bed constantly. And they got a some kind of shock blanket or something. If you peed on it, it would shock you and wake you up.
1: Right. And, and that may sound horrible when you first read it, except for we did that with one of our kids. Um, but it wasn't a shock blanket. We couldn't, this kid, you know, has a urinating problem when he's younger and you're like, okay, it's whatever. It's, you know, kids go through this. Nothing solving it. Now he doesn't want to do sleepovers at his friend's house. It's becoming more and more of a problem. I, at some point, I'm like, okay, now I feel bad because it's it's not him. I mean, no problems during the day. It's only when he sleeps. And he would crash into these sleep modes where he would go so deep. When he'd wake up, the kids would film him and laugh because they said he had like googly eyes. He was all crazy. We found this place and they had a device similar to this that hooks up to your underwear And it would go off in the middle of the night as soon as it heard or felt uh, detected moisture, and it was like having a baby. And you had to go in there, you had to say a code word to him, wake him up, and then um, make (laughs) him go to the bathroom. And in the morning, you would he would need to tell you what that word was. So what would happen is he would sleep and then drop immediately past REM sleep into like super hard sleep. And it was, and then it was, anyway, it was causing problems. And so you're retraining his brain to make these steps down and, and it mm. solved the problem. It was, it was miraculous. It was great. I think that's what this exactly was supposed to do. It sounded a little bit more harsh for him. Uh, maybe um, it was a shock. This was not a shock. It was just a loud noise. It
0: was bewildering. To so it. what did you do to traumatize your kid into pissing himself at night?
1: Well, this is my, this is why I'm cucked. This is my at the time step kid. He's, he's my kid now, but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what his dad did. Okay. Enough of that. Any, any more. So he's, he's in this place. I don't know how we keep going through here. Um, he's, he's trying to get out of his psych hold. And at some point he's finally able to work his way out and to, uh, to get it. Now I keep putting notes in here in the book about like about time to call an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Cause <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's, he's not, he's not calling anybody. Um, he talks about flesh eating lawyers. I did like that. He's not, he's not wrong. <laughs> um, his mom and Dana, I'm sorry, his wife and her mother. And then this friend Patrick all came to visit him. Uh, he didn't, he said it was, it was weird. Um, they were a bit cold. Uh, they kicked him out. He said he makes his wife's mother sound like an evil, evil person.
0: What's yeah um yeah <laughs> well in my experience through the family court stuff and with my baby mama r.i.p um she wasn't living with her mom she was living with an older uh woman figure who was a terrible influence who sounds a lot like the mother-in-law in this situation who's just basically encouraging her to hit the detonate button on her family and not try to work things out right um yeah and and i didn't ha- i don't you know, I never had near the problems it sounds like this Holly weirdo has. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if if even any at all. You know, it was just people that watch Doctor Phil all day every day, <laughs> like that type of personality.
1: <laughs> right. So then he gets here uh, about the wife and the the mom. She had driven an hour and a half to visit me, her son-in-law, to deliver that message. The letter from a flesh-eating lawyer, which I would soon receive, embodied more humanity than oh, wow. Emily's proclamation. <laughs> I realized I had no one to rely on, but myself, if I was going to escape. Yeah. So you're, you're need to call an attorney. He finally gets out. Uh, or was that the next thing? Oh, she gave him a, she brought him some things and on that it had his agent's name, um, and, and phone number. And so now you start to do the, all the noticing and questions that you have the J cues, right? So that's Andy's
0: question about (laughs) what? Well, um, I, uh, She, at one point she asked him to sign over all his financial information Yeah, and how alarm bells are not going off in his head. He signs over, you know, all his bank account information and everything to her. And at this point he should know that, and I think he knows that she's the one who put him in there. And now this is going to become like a more combative situation. He's just fueling his own demise in a lot of ways. And I don't think he understands really what he's doing.
1: Right. So part of this to go through here is for us to instruct and to try to give people an idea of how they can avoid these problems themselves. We're going to get into a little bit later here where he digs himself some holes that are just insurmountable. And, um, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And you've got to, you've got to, <laughs> I know you don't like the court system, but you got to play within it. If that's what's,
0: you know, your, your ultimate goal is to to have your kids. Um, speaking of which i've got to go pick up mine i thought my brother was going to be able to pick her up from school so i could do this but i got to go pick okay. her up if you want to keep going and i can come back
1: i could i could keep going uh, unless you wanted me to, to just we could do this another almost an hour in what time was it here um how long are you going to be
0: uh, well I have to sit in the, the line so maybe 15 20 you minutes know,
1: we're like good we'll, we'll, we'll do another session. I, I got my trial for next week got resolved so uh, we'll have maybe some more time so um, people don't I'm not gonna spoil everything for you here but I found court documents so we can at least get the other side of the story okay and and we're going to do that so we'll start here chapter four next time uh, with Andy and I thank you everybody for joining us. I hope you have a good Friday. Oh, um, I got to go. That's what you said on the thing. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I was (laughs) going to say, I mean, if if you want to cut it here and then, uh, you know, in a few hours or something, if you want to come back and do the rest, rest of part one, I'm more than happy to do that too. I want to do it, you know, while it's still all fresh on my mind.
1: Yeah, let's do that. So maybe we'll rejoin everyone back here in a little bit. I'll go uh, do some exercising. People come back and join us. Um, what are you going to say?
0: Two Sorry to break it up like this. <laughs> uh, no, this is whatever this is what works happens. for you.
1: Okay. All right, everybody. Uh, I'm right, fine come and back with and like an us. hour, hour and a half, something All like right. that. You get out. I'll, I'll talk to the peoples and then we'll we'll make it. A... All, All right. right. No, I'm just kidding. Right, bye.
0: Okay, I'm leaving now. Bye, guys. But she's back. And now,
1: Chick Fil A is completely overrated. It's not that good. I prefer Zaxby's. I prefer Popeyes
0: takes a tough man to make a tender forecast, Nick. I guess
1: that's uh, me. Yeah. Keep
0: fucking that chicken.
1: <laughs> for, should I vote for Dick Cheney on the Libertarian Party? Do yes. I have an
0: obligation to vote for Dick Cheney? I would say so. Yes. Did it work for those people? <laughs> no, it never does. I mean, these people somehow delude themselves into thinking it might, but...
1: But it might work for us.
0: That one dude was like, not a podcast, so I can't find it anywhere, and they don't have a video. <laughs> oh, yeah, Peter Janky, Yeah, He's, Yeah, I blocked him.
1: I'll do it. If he unblocks me, I'll... I'll... He'll buy your shirt if you unblock, Bert. He's a wigger. Yeah, nothing cooler than a 49-year-old wigger. I just started live
0: streaming. Cut me some slack. I'm fucking... I'm pretty high-tech for a boomer. Uh, But anyways, I...